Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Word Processing. As always, my name is Andrew, and I'm joined once again with Josiah. Josiah, good to see you as always. Yeah, you too. It's good to be here, and we're going to discuss God's Word, specifically the sermon that was preached this past Sunday at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Josiah was part of Matthew chapter 16, and this was a bit of a shorter passage I noticed this week, and yet it seemed like there was no shortage of things to discuss about it. It was very punchy and had a lot of weight to it, and to me it seemed like the main punch of it was right near the beginning. So I'm wondering if you could just run us back through again quickly the text that we looked at this past week and and what we sort of talked about so we can make sure we're on, we're on track together. Yeah, probably one of the more well-known passages in Matthew's gospel. It's mm-hmm. Peter's confession of Christ. It's often labeled, and it really starts with Jesus asking a question about the public opinion of himself. We need to keep it in the context of Matthew. His identity as Messiah has been the issue in Matthew's gospel. And so now he puts the question explicitly to his disciples to answer on on, uh, behalf of Israel. What are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And when he hears back from the disciples some varied answers, various uh, erroneous answers about who he is that people are saying, then he points the question back at the disciples and says, okay, well, who do you say that I am? And that's where we get Peter's confession that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then we have a celebration, really, of that declaration of Peter. And so that's really the whole text. I love how you say that this is a shorter text. It's still a good chunk. It's still a number of verses, but I guess yeah. I'm getting a reputation for being long-winded and taking a huge <laughs> chunk of scripture. That wasn't necessarily the implication. I More so, I think, honestly, I think to me it just felt shorter because Peter's confession is just a couple verses in. Yeah. And then as you pointed out on Sunday, everything after that is more discussing Peter's reward for what he has said or a follow-up, in fact, to what he has said. And so I think that makes it feel shorter in some ways, to me at least. I mean, it's just so quick. He's asking, what do the people say? And they give some answers. And then, okay, how about you? And Peter speaks on behalf of, of yeah. the crew here. And it's a very pointed passage, really. Like, it really comes down to just this one question. Whereas some of other passages, there's a lot of facets and moving parts here. It's not that this is an uncomplicated passage, but it really boils down to this one declaration. And so you can really study that one declaration and and feel its import, feel its weight. And that really was the point of the sermon because I hope it was the point of the passage as well. Yeah, it's a way better way of saying what I was just trying to get at. I mean, you can see the the climax moment where you can see the mountaintop. There's one target that it's pointing you to rather than, you know, some of the other ones where it's, okay, here's one target, here's another, here's some kind of back and forth and how these all work together. And again, as you go through Matthew's gospel, this is not an island. And so there's this back and forth of who is he? He's proving things. He's showing miracles. You can almost sense the disciples are wrestling with it. Certainly the crowds are wrestling with it. The leadership of Israel are battling with it. They're denying and there's all this. And then there's this question, just a pointed question by Jesus to his disciples. Okay, cards on the table. Who do you say that I am after all we've been through? And Peter just knocks it out of the park and he hits it right on the head. He says, you are the Christ, the long awaited Messiah. And not only that, you are the son of the living God. Which just brings it full circle and is a great starting point. This means everything. This is everything. And Jesus is laying this whole situation before them in a way that I think the text then invites us to do the same. And we can talk a bit more about that in a moment. But one of the things I thought was really interesting this week, you presented something that I had never really considered before. And that's that, I mean, the people's response, as the disciples point out, some say you're John the Baptist or others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or 
one of the other prophets. And what you pointed out is that even though the people were clearly wrong, they still noticed that something special or even supernatural was going on. And I've never really thought about that before. I've always just thought, oh, they're clearly just wrong. He's the Messiah and they think it's John the Baptist or they think it's one of these other long dead prophets, but not really considering the fact that that is a big assumption in and of itself. Like these people were clearly people of faith or mm-hmm. at least a willingness to consider the otherworldly, if you will, or the supernatural. And it's just so strange to me. Like in hindsight, it seems like such a huge leap of like, who is this man? Well, it must be a long dead prophet raised from the dead or reincarnated versus, I mean, they all expected a Messiah. They've been expecting a Messiah for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. To me, it doesn't seem like that logical of a leap, but the other one clearly is. And they were willing to go there. You know, I think about today and today's society and it doesn't seem that different. Yeah, you're right. Like for them at the time, for at least some of the people in Israel, it made more sense that Jeremiah had come back from the dead than Jesus could be the mm-hmm. Messiah. They determined that that was more likely the case yeah. than the latter option. And we just see that. And like you pointed to today, unbelief is a creative monster. You know, it can trick us. If we are determined in our unbelief, you know, thinking we were wise, we became fools as sinners, our hearts become hardened. If we are set against believing something, no matter how clearly it's true, our unbelief can get very, very creative. And we're not exempt from that. I I know that, and not about Jesus as Messiah, but in his provision, in his goodness, in all these other facets of God's character, do I believe that consistently? And has he proven that over and over and over again in my life? And yet, when I face a moment where I have to decide, is he good? Is he trustworthy? Or am I going to go my own way? Sometimes I choose the objectively more unbelievable route just because in that moment, my unbelief takes over. And so we see that here with this hardness of heart. They are clearly believing something that from our point of view is harder to believe, but they're choosing that over him being the Christ, the son of the living God. Yeah, it seems like kind of that concept of like a foregone conclusion, this idea of when we have our mind made up about something already and something that we just don't want to hear, we'll find any creative loophole we can to avoid that conclusion. Yeah, and we really need to remember that this is a spiritual battle, Mm -hmm. that belief is a spiritual battle. It's not a logical one or an evidential one. And even in our evangelism and our discipleship, we need to keep that in the forefront of our mind that when we're talking to people who are stuck in unbelief, whether unregenerate people, lost people, or believers who are struggling in unbelief, this is a spiritual battle. We are not going to argue them toward repentance or argue them toward belief in Jesus as Messiah. It has to be done spiritually, prayerfully, and as Peter learns, it's, it's a revealed revelation. And that perfectly walks us into the direction I wanted to go, because obviously that is one facet of Peter's response. It has been revealed to him. You also pointed out that Peter's response is blessed, it's foundational, it's rewarded. Can we just talk a little bit more about these these terms? Because I know they came up a lot mm-hmm. in the sermon, uh, kind of at different points, but why is it significant? Why is it important to us that you know Peter was blessed and had this revealed mm-hmm. answer that was foundational and rewarded? Is that still significant now? It is. And I think we'll get to that a bit when we talk about the application of it. But I think in the sermon itself and in the passage, I think it's important to understand the structure of the text and how this is part of a celebration of the declaration Peter just gave. Mm -hmm. If you know this text at all, or if you listen to the sermon, you'll know I hinted at the fact that this is a theological minefield, Mm -hmm. this text, where the church over the history has split over this passage, over the keys to the kingdom over the rock that the church is built upon. What Peter's role actually is. Mm -hmm. And And so this is maybe just a good illustration of solid 
hopefully Bible reading and how to study scripture. Understand what the text is doing. He is just, this is about Jesus' identity. Mm -hmm. It's all about who he is. Who do people say that I am? Eh, They're wrong. Who do you say that I am? You nailed it. Now let's celebrate this. Let's celebrate. And here are some of the beautiful realities that come out of a declaration like that. Rather than taking these powder keg texts and then redefining the whole passage to be around papal authority or to be around binding and loosing. No, no, those are celebrations of the declaration, not the other way around. And so I think that's the significance of the way we talked about it on Sunday is just to put the cart behind the horse and not Mm -hmm. vice versa. It's really interesting as you're saying that I'm just considering the fact that this passage is about the identity of Jesus. And yet so many of those as you say, powder keg discussions, end up talking about the identity of Peter and focusing more on the identity of Peter and what his role and his identity is rather than the person in whom he's just declared faith. And it's not to say those issues aren't important. They are very, very important. In the text for a reason. In the text for a reason, but we just want to put them in the right place. And we never want those issues to overshadow the main issue. And what more main issue is there than the identity of Jesus as Messiah and God? And so to our detriment, we get pulled into those other conversations and forget the main point of the text. And so again, it's a celebration. He, by the Father's revelation, showing his blessedness, declared this foundational and rewardable truth. And we want to join them in the celebration of that. I love that you use that language too, because it ended up being just perfect that we ended up having Baptism Sunday with this text. And we got to live out firsthand almost an illustration of this text in some ways, right? That we got to sit in the sanctuary and celebrate two believers declaring their answer to this question, Mm -hmm. right? Two people came and said, I want everyone here to know that I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Mm -hmm. son of the living God. And we're baptized in front of us. And we got to celebrate with them and enjoy that reward together and that celebration, see that foundation, the way it's grown in their lives. And it's a blessedness that they are declaring. Uh, We learn in John 20, I think I read on Sunday as well, that interaction between the resurrected Christ and Thomas, doubting Thomas, as he's often pejoratively called, where Jesus says to him, so you see and now you believe, wonderful, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And, Mm -hmm. And that's us. And those are the people being baptized on Sunday. They have not seen the resurrected Christ. They know him intimately, just as you and I know him. But blessed are those who believe. And so they're standing in those waters on Sunday declaring that they believe he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, that he has died for their sins, rose again by faith in him. They have eternal life. They're declaring that without having seen the resurrected Christ, blessed are they. And it's a a revealed truth. It is a rewardable truth, like you said, and it's a foundational truth as well Mm -hmm. to the Christian life and to the church as a whole. Well, and Paul is very clear about that, right? If Mm -hmm. Jesus did not raise from the dead, then none of this has any point to it whatsoever. Yeah. And what a cool moment for Peter, even of like, you know, whether he was speaking on behalf of all the disciples or just for himself in that moment, he was understood a truth that had been revealed to him that he hadn't seen fully lived out. And yet he knew sort of what was coming. And it could be understood that he is being blessed for the statement Mm -hmm. or his statement is revealing his blessedness. Yeah. Either way, it doesn't matter. It's a blessed statement either way. And same for us. When we are able by God's grace to declare and to believe what we believe, then it reveals our blessed state as believers, but it also is a blessed statement that he uh, blesses and rewards, bestows his favor upon us for declaring, confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. And you're really setting me up for the questions we have here, walking right right into the next one, which is really about the fact that all of us have to answer this question, who is Jesus at some point? And 
I love that you mentioned the fact that whether we realize it or not, everybody does answer this question. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't say he's the Christ, then you clearly assume he is something else. Or Or if you're apathetic, if you just don't care, if you don't think it's a big enough deal, you shrug your shoulders at it. That in and of itself is an answer. Exactly. And I can't help but think as we discuss this topic, just really, you know, you've been talking about following the text where it leads us and thinking about the picture of Matthew as a whole. And man, this really just connects so well to what we talked about last week, which is this leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, this contagion or this virus of unbelief. And I think we didn't really talk about this on Sunday, but the way that this response of what belief looks like coming out of what the danger of unbelief looks like, we see the picture of Matthew's that he's trying to illustrate here. Break out the sarcasm meter. It's almost like it's all connected, right? It's almost like it's one inspired text for sure that he's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, this spreading unbelief and the next scene is who do people say that i am unbelief 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 and then peter by god's grace declares in belief here's what it is here's what the right answer is and then next week lord willing we'll find a conversation about discipleship so what does it mean to follow now that you believed now that you have been able to declare that yes he is the messiah the son of god what does it then look like to follow him and it's just it's this constant and this is one of the Another example of a benefit of consecutive exposition, just going through text of scripture, because you start to see that it is one narrative all put together. Yeah, you're already getting me excited for that conversation, because I think you and I have talked about in the past the way that those two terms can kind of be conflated or Mm -hmm. confused Mm -hmm. in some ways. So I'm excited to see what the text has to say about being a disciple and a follower. Josiah, I love the way that you ended us on Sunday by acknowledging that there might be people in that room that do not believe or have not believed in Jesus as Christ, but acknowledging that most who are listening and most who are probably listening to this have believed in Christ. And yet those descriptors of that response, the the blessedness, the revealedness, the foundationalness, I'm making up words here, rewardedness of that response of Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that can help us in struggles we have in our Christian walk as believers. I was wondering, can we just, with our time left, maybe talk about those things a little bit more? How this, you know, how can we turn back to our faith in Jesus as a way that inspires us in the the walk of the day-to-day? Yeah, first and foremost, the text puts us to a decision. Mm-hmm. And so like you said, it puts the unbeliever to a decision. Here's the question. There are two possible responses. Understand that as you hear these words, This is a moment that could shape eternity for you. Do you answer like the people or do you answer like Peter? One is right, one is wrong. There is no getting away from this. And so hopefully the text puts unbelievers, unregenerate people to that decision and they feel the weight of that and the Holy Spirit draws them. So that is one group for sure, the the unbelieving people that hear this text handled and, and explained and they're put to that same question. Who do you say that I am? Jesus speaking. And we pray and we have been praying that anyone who has heard that was that was in that group would respond like Peter, you are the Messiah. You are the savior of the world. You're the one that can forgive my sins and reconcile me to a holy God. Now there's this whole other group, which is in our context and in the church context, hopefully in every church context, the majority of the people there who are believers, who have once upon a time, whether last week or Decades 50 ago. years ago, yeah. have answered the way Peter answered in this text. So what does that mean? And you're right, I ran it back through the grid of the celebration of Peter's statement and how do those things apply to us? So for example, if you have believed that, but you, as some of us do at times, feel unworthy of that love at times, you struggle with sin, 
the world has taught you that you're not worth much, to understand that because you have answered the way that you have by God's grace, that that is a blessed answer. Mm -hmm. That I said in John 20, blessed are you who have not seen and yet believed. believed. And that blessedness, that favor of God that rests upon you, that answer that revealed your blessedness, that is objective. So it doesn't really matter how I feel if I don't feel lovely or lovable or any of those things. God has said that I'm blessed for that answer. And so that can give us some comfort, I think. Mm -hmm. No, I think it absolutely does because what better thing than to realize you have something you can point at in your life that always points to Christ's love Mm -hmm. in your life. I was just talking with someone last week and as we approach Baptism Sunday saying, you're going to feel something as a believer in you when you watch people get baptized. And that's something you can always look back to and remember that feeling that you had that, you know, we can't even describe. It's that joy that wells within us, that we feel that blessedness when we see someone else declaring their faith Mm -hmm. because it reminds us of our own declaration. For sure. And while subjectivity is not a bad thing, we experience our walk with the Lord. We experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But we need to understand and recognize that we live in a world that idolizes subjectivity Mm -hmm. and relativism. Yep. And that there are objective realities to the faith that we need to remind ourselves of, that I am blessed. Mm -hmm. I am saved. These are not subjective realities. They are not true because I feel saved or because I feel blessed. No, they're true regardless of my emotional state at the moment. And it's really important to have those anchors to throw ourselves on that we are not saved because of my obedience, you know, that my, my level of obedience is not evidence necessarily of my salvific state, right? Like mm-hmm. there are some weeks where I'm less obedient. So am I less saved? No, I am saved because of the objective death and resurrection of Christ and my faith in him, my belief in him. That's objective. It's done. Mm-hmm. So we just need to remind ourselves of those, those anchors sometimes. Yeah, because these things I think that we talked about can help point us and remind us when our feelings aren't lining up with the objective truth, then we are able to point ourselves back and be like, no, 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 this is the truth. And here's a way that I can remind myself of that even when I'm not feeling it. Just as my will is stained by sin, my mind is stained Mm -hmm. by sin, emotions, my emotions are stained by sin. They are untrustworthy. (laughs) You know, they are just not trustworthy. I cannot root my assurance of salvation and my hope in those subjective realities or else I am importing unnecessarily. I'm importing doubt and lack of assurance. And the Lord is very clear in the New Testament and elsewhere, you know, that in the Old Testament as well, that he wants us to know that we belong to him. He wants us to know that we are his children. And mm-hmm. so any doubt is is being imported by us and not by him. So anyways, this idea of being blessed, we need to understand that if we are feeling unlovely, we are objectively blessed by the Lord. It's a blessed response we gave whether a week ago or 50 years ago. And I think you talked about already the idea of obedience, and I don't want to steal your thunder here, but we cannot earn our way. And that is another objective truth here. And the fact that this is a revealed answer and not one that we can logic ourselves to is always going to humble us back to that truth that I have not earned this, but it has been revealed to me. Thunder stolen. Yeah. Took it all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're exactly right. The second one was, you know, if you believe this, but you are proud. And if you're honest with yourself, there is a bit of a condescension that comes out of you when you think about people who are lost or who are trapped in ideologies or religious systems that are far from the gospel. You just shake your head at them and be like, get it together. 
How could you think that way? Well, sort of the same way that we, I don't know about you, but think about the the other responses. Like, oh, maybe he's John the Baptist. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's Jeremiah. Man, who are these guys? These guys are losers. (laughs) That's right. And that is pride, right? It's saying, we found something that you should know better than to reject. Mm -hmm. Obviously. Like, this is so obvious. And that is, there is a condescension and a pride in there. Definitely. And what buffers against that is that second celebratory aspect of Peter's response. That is a, a revealed truth. That I did not crack this code. I did not work my way to this understanding. Neither did Peter. I came to an understanding of the saving power of the gospel because God has revealed himself and comes after us. He is, as one author has called him, the hound. You know, he pursues, he chases after people. He woos us. He sends his Holy Spirit. He sent his son. He sends his church. There's natural revelation. All of these things because he does not desire for anyone to perish but all to come to repentance. So it's a revealed truth. I cannot take a whole lot of pride when I ponder the fact that God has really aided in my understanding and my declaration in the answer I was able to give uh, by his grace and for his glory. And so there is a humbling aspect to that as well. So for those of us who are proud, which you know probably is a lot of us, honestly, pride is just an insipid sin. It, it, it gets in there all the time. It's perennial. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we're honest, we need to kill that at the altar of this rewarded a declaration that we've all given as believers. And it really builds upon the fact that this truth is, as we'd say, the foundation as well. Mm-hmm. That that humility and that blessedness all works together in the solid, firm foundation of, I don't have faith unless I believe this truth about Christ. Yeah. Is there any issue in our world today more prevalent than people feeling that they don't matter? That they don't belong to something significant? They have no purpose. They have no meaning in life. I'm just floundering in this world. If you're a believer who has declared like Peter has, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that declaration is foundational in that you belong to something so much bigger and so much more significant than your little mind, my little mind can even fathom. Is there more purpose? Is there more belonging than what that statement brings into our lives? And so even that feeling of insignificance is is buffered against with this declaration, this confession that Peter modeled for us. I love Paul's description of this in Philippians 3 when he talks about our citizenship being in heaven and not of this world and I think that's what comes to mind here is we're part of this family we're citizens of a nation that has not yet been fully realized this kingdom on earth that will come when Christ returns one day and Paul says in 1st Corinthians don't you know that you are not your own Mm. you were bought with a price for crying out loud the king of the universe owns you you belong to him how much more significance do you mean and You went into his ownership when you believed on the Son and confessed what Peter confessed. And I think that probably leads us right to the rewards then, right? The rewards that we can expect, the rewards that we sometimes see now, but are guaranteed in eternity as well. Yeah, there's nothing more motivating to a weary person than a trophy of reward, something at the end. That is what propels athletes to train. That's what propels musicians to practice and practice and practice because there's rewards there's that's what a student studying for exams why because they want a scholarship there's Mm -hmm. that that glimmering something that motivates us through inconvenience and weariness and all the rest it's the same for us as believers there are rewards at stake and so if you are weary if you are tired if you are ready to throw your hands in the air and just say i give up it's too tiring it's too it takes too much from me I just remember that there are rewards the Lord has given us. And Peter's was a very specific reward, but the New Testament is full of examples of rewards for individual believers that are not Peter, like you and I as well. 
Well, I think it's a great place for us to end today, Josiah. I do want to say, if you happen to be listening to this and you have not believed in Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah, and you want to talk more about that, you want to discuss it with us, please feel free to, to reach out to Josiah or myself or one of the elders here or someone at your local church if you're from somewhere else, uh, because we'd love to talk more with you about that. And uh, for everybody else, we hope that this time has been edifying and encouraging to you. And until next time, go with grace and peace. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.